welcome to Five Alive. It's so wonderful to have you with us once again today. It is a lovely day, 2022. We're just excited about what God is doing and excited to have you join in with us on our podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the story of the flood and Noah and all that happened throughout Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. We will not read all of it, but we are going to break it up into some very important parts. We're going to go ahead and start with Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, then 11 through 22. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and the birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, and make rooms of the ark, and cover inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks, for behold... I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. Wonderful. So for the first portion of what we're going to read about, who built the ark? Noah. Noah. Who built the ark? Brother Noah. Oh, it's father Noah. It's father Noah. Brother Noah. Brother Noah. Oh, I always got the song confused. How many people built the ark with Noah? Him and his sons. And his wife. Well, we would assume that it was him and his family. We're just kind of gathering that. We don't really know it for sure. It doesn't mention it specifically word for word here, does it? No. So, um, who? How many people got on the ark? Noah and his family. Noah and his family. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. About twenty. Eight. Eight Which people. it was eight people. It was exactly eight people. In fact, later on in the Bible, and this was one that I always think is really funny, is somebody said, "Don't ever say a few unless you mean at least eight, because in the Bible it says a few equals eight. And we'll see that later on in First Peter chapter 3, where it says, a few people, that is eight. So a few means eight. I think that's hilarious. 
just out of curiosity, had Noah ever seen rain before? No. Had anybody on the earth ever seen rain before? No. <laughs> All right. And uh, how many animals got on the ark? Two of every kind. All of them. Plus those that needed to be sacrificed, the seven. Plus seven of edible unclean. ones. Of clean. Of clean, yes. Seven. Two of every unclean animal and seven of every clean animal. Yes, two of every unclean and seven of every clean. And we'll read about that here in just a second in chapter seven. Uh, this is important fact for us because we always hear about they came two by two. Nobody ever talks about the fact that the clean animals were seven of them because, yes, after Noah and his family got off the ark, they did give a sacrifice unto the Lord where they sacrificed those animals. Now let me just be a little bit, you know, typical the way we are as skeptics nowadays. Was the ark really big enough for every animal to get on it? Uh, I don't know. Yes. yes. I guess so. Why would it not be big enough? <clears throat> I mean, the sea creatures were in the sea, and if a giant flood raised the water level, they'd still be underwater. So they were fine. They were perfectly fine. So I what about all the insects? That's a lot of them. Yeah, I'm sure they were all in the ark. That makes sense. What about all of these big, huge animals? What about the fact that you're fitting everything? And then it also said, Xavier, you read that they were to bring food that is eaten by every one of these animals. That's a lot. That's a lot of food. Mm -hmm. But not only that, but then they were also, and it did take them a hundred years to build the ark. But not only were they building the ark, but how did they get every seedling in order to grow all over the world again later on? No idea. God would have just replenished it. Maybe later he did. Because of the act of his obedience. Maybe later he did, but they had to have a year's worth of food stored without electricity and refrigeration right. and ice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I'm bringing up these facts for several reasons. I want to bring up one more thing. Where did COVID-19 come from and the main story that everybody knows it came from? What happened? Bats and pigs. Bats. A bat pooped in a pig pen, and the pig ate what the bat pooped out. And bats have. And then a person ate, ate the, the pig, pig and then spread the disease. And then that's what caused the spread of COVID 19. Now, with all of these animals integrated, who would have been responsible enough to make sure that they didn't intermingle to the point where there was some kind of unbelievable born disease that would have killed Noah and his family? especially since they were going to be on the ark in the first place. That's Let me ask another question. What about the fact that the animals defecated and urinated? And in our urine, we know that there's ammonia. And in ammonia, if you breathe too much of it in, it causes you to pass out. And therefore, you will die from too much exposure to the excrement and the waste that comes from animals. Mm -hmm. So what about that? I ask all these questions not to cause doubt inside of our mind as to whether the story of Noah and the flood really took place. I'm asking these questions to show us how big the miracle is that God created when Noah and the ark happened. Isn't it pretty amazing that God 
had a man build a boat that was large enough to fit two of every unclean animal and seven of all the clean animals. Isn't it incredible that they had enough food and the resources in order to grow food on the ark so that that way everybody was fed, so that that way everybody got off the ark? Isn't it incredible that they believed God even though they'd never seen rain before and never seen the ground open up and floodwaters come up out of it, but they believed God enough to build an ark over a period of a hundred years. And isn't it amazing that they didn't have to go out and gather the animals? Who? How did the animals get to the ark? They came on their own. God brought them. God brought the animals that were to come and get on the ark. That's pretty incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. That is the absolute definition of a miracle of God who created all of heaven and earth, all of the universe, and he looks at what has happened as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and all the things that transpired from that. And he says, mankind is wicked, but yet he still sees Noah and his family and says, you know what? They're righteous. I'm going to provide a miracle so that that way they can survive the utter destruction of all of the earth as we know it. And yet I'm going to make sure not only that no one and his family survive, but that there's going to be vegetation and there's going to be beasts of the field and beasts of the birds of the air that are going to survive. And this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to have Noah build an ark. I'm going to have Noah build his way of salvation, though I'm going to provide every single thing he needs for salvation. I'm going to provide him with the wood. I'm going to provide him with the help. I'm going to provide the animals. I'm going to provide the birds. I'm going to provide the vegetation. God provided all of the things that Noah needed for his salvation. All Noah had to do was put it into practice. It's kind of interesting that isn't salvation through Christ kind of the same? Mm-hmm. He provided everything for us on the cross, but every single day we have to actually put our salvation into practice. We are the ones responsible for repentance. All right. There's a portion of scripture I didn't read because a lot of people really get confused, and it's at the beginning of Genesis 6. It says the sons of God, or yeah, the sons of God mingled with the women of the earth because they found them beautiful, and Nephilim were born as a result. In other words, they were giants. This happened before the flood. And so when you watch those crazy YouTube videos that talk about giants in the land, there were giants, but the Nephilim did not survive the flood. We know that that's a fact. There's also another funny story in Jewish mythology that says that there was this um, there was this king, King Og of Bashan. We actually find out about him later on in scripture, uh, several hundred years later, as a matter of fact, that in Jewish mythology, mythology, it's believed that he held on to the back of the ark the whole time that the flood was transpiring, and that that is how come there were giants in the land whenever the Israelites were coming to occupy the land of Canaan. Kind of hysterical, uh, because how in the world would somebody hold on to the back of a boat for 
300 days and how in the world would he survive without eating i know i know pretty funny stuff especially since god's wiping them all out the wicked all out but yet nonetheless this is some of the mythology that does go on this is not true so there reason that i bring the nephilim up is because there's a lot of people that talk about aliens you even have watched history channel the ancient alien show they love to talk about the nephilim and they love to bring up the fact that there's some kind of correlation between aliens and this it's hysterical if you really watch it and uh folks there's no way there's no way that giants would have survived the flood because the flood came afterwards and we're going to see exactly what happened in genesis chapter 7 uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, 11 and 12, 17 through 21, and verse 24. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and everything living that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, and on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so that the mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days thank you so much so this is very important for us to read is the fact that god had noah build an ark he had a door put on the ark he then called all of the animals two by two but also the clean animals seven of each and according to their kind as blair read at the beginning of chapter seven in genesis that part that we always seem to forget uh, when we're telling the story of noah and we see them get onto the ark and who closes the door god god closes the door knowing that had to be something that must have been there in noah's mind at some point because have you ever done a job and then gone wait, I didn't think this all the way through. And then you kind of panic about it and you start thinking back through things like, oh my goodness, I forgot this. Wait, is it this? And then all of a sudden you like see the door come shut. It'd be pretty wild to see that God's just like, look, this is how much I love you. This is how much I prepared all of these things to happen. I care for you. Now, how long did the rains fall and the floodwaters rise? 80 days. Oh, 40 days, 40 nights. Yeah, 40 days and 40 nights. And then how long did the water stand on the earth? 150 days. 150 days. That is more than enough time for everything to be covered by water and for nothing to have survived. Now, even Joseph Campbell, who is an anthropologist in days of old, he wrote a book uh, that I've mentioned on here before, but it's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He has a very skewed view of the way he looks at the earth, but in all of his anthropological studies, and he has done a lot of them, and he has studied a lot of cultures all over this globe, 
He says that there's one recurring story that is prominent no matter if you're in South America, North America, Asia, Europe, or Africa. Even in Australia, the Aborigines tell the story of something that happened, and these all come together. One thing that is in common is everybody has a story about what? Blood. Yeah. Everybody in their cultural history has a story about the flood, which shows us that this absolutely happened. And that is the beauty of how great God is, that he would allow this massive miracle to destroy the wickedness of mankind, yet redeem the beasts, the birds, the vegetation, and mankind through Noah and his family by passing from the old world and creating for them a new one. It's the exact story of what God has done for us on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. We're going to continue reading now the conclusion of the story of Noah and his flood up until the point where they get out of the ark, and that is in Genesis chapter 8, 4 through 7, 8 through 12, 8 through 12 and 15 and 16. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountain of the mountains of Arab. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen and it came to pass at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he made and he sent forth a raven which went forth and to and fro <laughs> until the waters were dried up from off the land. Also, he sent a dove for him to see if the waters were abated, abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark for the waters were on the face of the whole earth then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into him into the ark and he stayed yet another seven days and again sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, and whoa, no, lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth and he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove which returned not again unto him any more.
verse 15 and 16. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Wonderful. So there's a few things that we see here in this passage of Scripture uh, that I want to draw our attention to. The waters had covered the earth for 150 days. Noah starts seeing the waters recede. And so he, like any of us would do, he starts getting a little anxious. They come to rest on the Mount uh, Ararat, which we've actually had the privilege of seeing off in the distance when we were visiting in Armenia several years ago. Uh, we hiked up the Aragats Mountains, and we were able to see Mount Ararat in the background. It was the month of August, and what was on the top of Mount Ararat at that time? Snow. Snow and ice and glaciers. And so that's pretty high up there back then in the day. Uh, that they were up, the mountain, the the ark came to rest. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the ark is still there? Yep, it says it is in the Bible. So why wouldn't it be? It does? Yeah, it says it's there to this day. Doesn't it? No. I thought it did. Mm -hmm. I thought it's one of those ones that says it does. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when the river where it said the guy set up the 12 stones of the river and then those are still yeah, there to this day. Yeah, that was a symbol for them unto this day. My opinion is is that I don't think Noah's Ark is resting on Mount Ararat because I think Noah, if he was smart enough to be able to build an ark by God's help and put all of those rooms and store all of those animals separately and contain those that were enemies, natural enemies with each other away from ones that they would normally be a predator of, if he was smart enough to do that, I think he probably would have dismantled the ark and when he built the uh, altar when he built his shelters I think they would have reutilized and repurposed the wood that they had built the ark with and so you wouldn't necessarily see an ark up there today though while we were in the um, the the churches there in Armenia we did see several different people um, uh, relics that they said were made of the gopher wood from the ark and that that is the way the Church of Armenia, the Catholic Church of Armenia, looks at them as, as if they are relics specifically from the Ark. And so this is a story that is continued to be perpetuated throughout this day. However, I, I do want to bring about the fact that it's highly possible that Noah's Ark is not still resting there on Mount Ararat. It does make for a great story. It may even make for a great Indiana Jones movie one day, uh, but that is just kind of my humble opinion of the way things would have gone. Now, without a record of how Noah is to get out of the ark, like we don't, we hear God saying, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to set you apart. Noah takes it upon himself to send out a raven. Is that a sin that he doesn't trust God to just tell him when to get out of the ark, that he goes to his window and he sends out a raven to see what's going on? No. No. What about when he sends out the dove after the raven doesn't return? Is that a son? No. No, I don't think so either. Does it kind of show man's antsiness of like, I'm ready to get off this boat? Yes. Does it show like he's like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to see what's going on outside. I've been cramped in here for so long. I can't believe... 
I mean, what do you think the conversations were like in the uh, when they were dining together? You know, you've all been sitting together cooped up in one room for a year. Oh, wait, I think almost everybody in the world knows what that's like, thanks to COVID-19, don't we? Yep. And so can you imagine how Noah and his family were like looking forward to getting out mm-hmm. of that boat and seeing what in the world is going on? So I don't don't see Noah as dis, as disobedient. I don't even see him as doubting. He's definitely not an atheist who no longer trusts in God, but instead is swallowed up by his desire to see what's going on. So he releases a dove, he releases a raven, and yet we still see that God in his grace and in his mercy allows Noah to exercise his free will in doing this and not hold it against him, but still call him a man of righteousness. And In the other times of Noah's life, we see that he makes mistakes. Yet in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7, what does it say? I don't know who had that one. Oh, I think I have that one. You're right. Okay. (laughs) I thought I'd given it to you, but I was like, you know, you have enough to read in Genesis 8. I'll go ahead and take this one. This one little short verse in Hebrews chapter 11. How nice of me. I know, it was nice of me, wasn't it? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverential fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah is a righteous man who still was able to exercise his own will, showing us that free will exists in the scriptures and that a man who is filled with faith that still makes mistakes can still be righteous in existence. What does a dove with an olive branch symbolize today? Peace. Why? Does it symbolize peace? Does it come specifically from this passage of scripture? I don't think so. It does? Oh, it does. Then yes, it does. Oh, yeah, it does. Because whenever the dove returned back with the olive branch, it was showing that the uh, trees and all the ground was showing to the point where it was safe and peaceful and there was no more storms going on and the flood wasn't raging against them anymore. And that the wickedness... And the destruction of mankind was complete, and there was peace that was able to reign on the land. Another thing that this passage of Scripture shows us is it shows us the passing from an old world into the new world, or the passing from a sinful life into a new life. We see this exhibited in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Verses 18 and 22, it is mentioned to us specifically for those of us who don't just see the story. God points it out to us that it is like baptism. The baptism of the ark is an example to us of following our Lord Jesus Christ in water baptism to show that we have passed from an old life into a new. Savior? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God and bring being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water, 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, here is a little thing for everybody that maybe has never been to the southern part of the United States, and there are several churches like this uh, in the U.S., but if you walk into the doors of a church, the architect has usually designed the main sanctuary to look like the bottom of a boat, to look like the bottom of what the ark might have looked like at the bottom of it. And they did this specifically on purpose, which I know it gets lost nowadays when churches are in warehouses or movie theaters or in old destroyed buildings that they have now re purposed in order to have their um, their churches in them. But if you go into several churches back in the day, if you go into several old churches, you will see this beautiful architecture where it is designed so that that way when you walk in, it kind of has this curvature and then it comes to a point in the middle so that they have these rafters that are going up and it has this look as if you're entering into the bottom or you're looking up, if you look up, you're looking into the bottom of a boat. And this is a representation that the churches were trying to show people of the importance of the baptism of God that came through Noah and his family in order to bring things from old life into new. And that symbolism is also there when we're talking about Jesus. As he was water baptized, he brings us from our old life and makes us into new creations. As is said here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, we see this beauty of what the ark is pointing to and not just being distracted by what it was in the past, but what it is for you and I today as Christians. Jesus also brings up Noah, and he specifically brings it up in regards to the last days. And he talks to us about how the flood will come immediately upon us. We see this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 42. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Even today, we do not know when the final day is on this earth. And we have seen mass massive books, massive movies, massive dystopian thoughts and processes. People are looking at the end of the world as songs, the end of the world as we know it. And we see these things all pointing to whether you're a Christian or not. We see the day of destruction is headed our way and Christ is going to return before that happens for those of us who are Christians, much as Noah saw that Noah was righteous and his family therefore were spared from a flood, Jesus will return before the destruction of this world and he will take those away whom he calls his own. However, 
Who is it that knows the day and the hour that he's going to return for us? The Father. Does anybody else know it? No. Does mathematics help us figure it out? No. Is there some way that we can look through scripture and read some kind of hidden message or hidden code that will then point it out to us so that that way we can survive better? No. Is there some kind of prophet that's going to come along and help us to escape if we follow him instead of following Jesus that will all of a sudden provide us a way of escape so that that way we can avoid the judgment that God has talked about from the beginning of time until this day so that that way we can escape without trusting in Jesus? No. No. But yet we have people come alongside talking about these nonsensical things all the time. I think it was just a few years ago that there was somebody that predicted the end of the world then. We have these cultists who say that there's a spaceship behind this comet that's passing by the earth. And if we all massly kill ourselves and dress in Nikes and Nike swish pants and Nike shirts and cover ourselves with purple cloths, we will then all of a sudden be transported into the spacecraft that's what this is nonsense that is not going to happen instead what's going to happen is the day that this world is judged and the day of this world's destruction is going to come like it did in the day of noah where the world was flooded and majority of people had no idea that that was going to happen and so before christ returns the same is true for us today we, like Noah and his family, have got to prepare. We, like the bugs and the animals, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, we have got to listen to God in order to help us find that way of escape that is provided through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have got to get into the ark, and the biggest way we can do that is by trusting in our Messiah, our Savior, showing mercy to others, living in repentance, serving people, placing God first, having joy, being a person of peace, being a person who's self-controlled, and giving grace to so many other people instead of just being a person of vitriol and hatred. Let us learn to love our brothers and our sisters those who believe like us and who's that don't. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we preparing for Jesus's soon coming imminent return that could be at any day, any second, and any hour? These are the lessons that we can learn from Noah and the ark. The earth was filled with wickedness. God provided a miracle way of escape. Today is no different. The world is filled with wickedness. Yet through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are gifted a way of escape. And he is returning for us. He who is preparing a place for us in heaven will come and gather us, his people. You guys have anything to add to the story of Noah or anything that I did not mention that you want to talk about? There are stories where people claim to be better than they actually are. Like they say, oh, if I knew the end of the world was coming or, oh, if I knew I was dying or, oh, if I knew this was going to happen, I'd change and I'd clean up my life and I'd fix that before it ever happened because I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming ahead of time and I wouldn't do the same thing.
because I knew that disaster was going to come. And so then I'd change what I was going to do. But according to this, the people knew the flood was coming. Noah went out, not only did he build the ark, but he went out and preached to the people to repent because the flood was coming. And people would come and make fun of him while he's building the ark. And he'd try and witness to them that the flood was coming. And they all believed him as a madman. And they had full opportunity to repent. And they knew Technically, they knew that something bad was coming, but they decided not to care. And there was a physical, actual, humongous boat, 300 cubits long by 30 cubits high by 50 cubits wide that that he was pointing to. Yeah, he was literally building this giant boat. And then they're like, no, that's not real. That can't be real. Yeah. And people are exactly the same today, unfortunately. And that's why we've got to pray for one another. That's why we've got to pray for our neighbors. That's why we have to repent on their behalf and continue to be that solid witness in our household, in our work, in our school, no matter where we go. We can't all of a sudden be a different person outside of who we are behind closed doors. We can't be different people than we are outside of the church. We must maintain that new creation, that Christ has made us new people, we don't all of a sudden put on a different mask and go out and do things that he would never have us do. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Bye, bye, bye.